This episode is brought to you by Water Wipes, the world's purest baby wipes. Plant-based and plastic-free with only two ingredients. Water Wipes gently cleans and helps protect sensitive skin and are proud sponsors of the Miracle Babies Foundation. Take it day by day. I struggled with I was trying to look forward too far and see the future and go, shit, if she's born at 26 weeks, is this is what she's going to look like when she's two? And then I would stage that at every possible thing because that's, I guess, how we're structured to think is to plan. Whereas really going every day we get extra in this pregnancy is a blessing and celebrate the little milestones. Welcome to Parenthood, where each week we explore the lives of Aussie mums and dads and what's really going on behind closed doors. I'm your host, Leonia Kidanor, mum of two, business owner and relationship coach. Let's begin. Welcome to the show. Megan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So great to talk to you today. For those listening, Megan is an ambassador of the Miracle Babies Foundation, which is Australia's leading organization supporting premature and sick newborns, their families, and the hospitals that care for them. And together with her wife, Jess, they are parents to a beautiful girl, Riley, who was born at 28 weeks via emergency C-section. And Megan is an Australian fast bowler who has played for the national team and even played in a number of um, as part of the Ashes team several times too. You are overseas at the moment, Megan. Where are you? I'm actually just interstate, but I'm oh, currently in Brisbane. But we are, um, yeah, it's a pretty quick tour. This one we're hopping in and out of cities pretty quickly. So yeah, okay. um, nice to be home, to be honest. Yeah, right. So how how long a stint do you do when you're away? Uh, it really differs. Um, so something like this is a really short one, so it'll only be two and a half weeks. But yeah. if it is an Ashes series, it's often about six weeks. Mm. And then we often go back-to-back tours. So we did have a period of three tours in a row where I was away for about 11 weeks, which wow. obviously is quite hard with uh, Riley and Jess does a lot of solo parenting, bless her. So um, it's a tough gig, but uh, yeah, not for too much longer, I guess. Yeah. As Have they been able to sort of join you at any point or is it just too difficult because you're working? Um, they're joined at some locations. There's some places I don't really want to take Riley, especially overseas. Um, she's a little, she's a two-year-old. She, you know, licks everything, eats everything off the floor. So, uh, lots of locations I don't really want her to come, but it, yeah. it is really tough when we travel so much and it's, um, it's pretty stressful for all of us. Yeah. Do you have family support at home? Yeah, we're super lucky that Jess's parents happen to live around the corner, um, which is good and bad. <laughs> but, um, geez, we'd be, we'd be so lost without them. So we're, we're very lucky to have a lot of support from them. Yeah, honestly, hands up to, you know, hat goes off to all of those single parents, uh, specifically single parents and who do not have the support. I do not know how you could do it. Like, yeah, it's not, not an easy gig, this parenting gig. So today I'd love to talk about your experience, um, right up to having Riley. And obviously she was a little preemie and sort of the experience that you had with that. But I guess to set the context, first and foremost, I mean, you're an advocate for the LGBTQ community. Um, you met Jess at Cricket Australia. Um, you um, got engaged, and two years later, when same-sex marriage was legalised, you got married, and then you had your beautiful daughter Riley. So, did you always know you wanted to be a parent? <laughs> no, I didn't. Um, Jess definitely—that was her nurturing soul. She's known her whole life she's going to be a mom. That's um, yeah, her caring nature. And I was always up in air about it. I, I didn't really think about it too much, and. 
never didn't want kids, but never was thrilled about them either. And then, um, yeah, things changed once I met Jess and um, obviously saw our life together and, and what we could do and, and that grew and grew. And, um, yeah, one day we were like, let's let's do this, let's get on board. So obviously it's quite a long process in a same-sex relationship and mm-hmm. um, one that we had to start probably a few years in, to be honest, just even having the conversations to make sure we're on the same page. And, um, yeah, we got there. Yeah. So what does that look like then? I mean, obviously you said that there's a, a fair bit to organize even in the lead up. What what did your IVF journey sort of look like? And I say that as well for other same-sex couples sort of listening in going, okay, so where do I even start? <laughs> that, that's probably the hardest part um, is picking a fertility clinic. We, we did a bit of research in, in South Australia wanting to make sure that, you know, we we're going to get really good care and and feel like we weren't just a burden in a way and um, we came across Repromed which is a South Australian company um, and that was really the first step was just booking in with a doctor there and seeing what the journey was going to look like and just knowing what was going to be involved you know how long are things going to take and what are the choices we're going to make along the way so um, that was probably the first step was booking in with them and and they came across us and said you know well you actually need to pass a counselling session everyone does to access um donor sperm and so we ticked that off and once we had done that it was really a conversation of um who was going to carry how are we going to do the egg situation um what donor were we going to go with and and there were quite a few options to be honest which was a little overwhelming at the time and but we had a very good idea of since I play professional sport I definitely wasn't going to be carrying the first child um I just really wanted to so it was the perfect mix um and then it was choosing the donor sperm which that was probably the longest process of the lot Mm, how what does that even look like what how do they present to you your options yeah yeah um it's very different so it's different in every single state everyone has different legislation which makes it even more complicated but um for reprimand specifically it was um you could either choose south australian donors which we were never going to do because it's an extremely small city everyone knows everyone and it would just be a bit odd, um, or overseas. So this was through California Cryobank. They have a connection with, and it becomes literally like a catalogue. So um, once we logged onto the website and we had access literally via membership, um, it was you could choose anything and everything, and there was detail. We even got to hear the donor's voice if we wanted to. They could upload adult photos. Um, we knew what you know the donor's grandmother did for occupation there health and history like it was an overwhelming amount of information but also really cool you, you feel like you you really know them and that was the hardest part was with time difference um and obviously it's a different donor system over there where they're paid so um a donor actually rolls through really quickly and so we had to figure out you know how much sperm we're going to need to potentially if we wanted to get three kids if they don't top up and we don't get enough then you know biologically they'll be different so mm. We wanted to make sure we could get a large amount of sperm. Um, and I, I reckon we didn't get our first top five donors. They they ran out. They went through the door really quick. And with time difference with emails and trying to get in touch with them, it was it was a very long process um, and then also a very expensive one um, per vial. I think it was $1,000 and then $700 for shipping. And so it was making sure we were clear with our appointments with our doctor how many vials we might potentially need but all of that's the unknown we could have you know 10 failed attempts and churn through all that so um yeah that was a, an overwhelming process and just trying to I guess you're essentially choosing you know the 
half your kid in a, in a way. So it's um you really want to make sure you've, you've nailed that down and um, that was probably the longest process of a lot of it. How long did it take for you to bed down your donor? Uh, at least nine months, probably longer. Um, yeah, we, we were on there most nights on, on the internet just looking at, at different donors and also they had to be genetically tested to make sure they match Australian standards. So there's only a certain few, I guess, that would qualify for that um, and those were the ones that happened to run out the door really quick. So um, obviously I think it would have been a little bit different had we chosen Australian sperm, um, but that's not how Reprimed or our fertility clinic works. So um, we were really happy to go down this route. Mm. And what was the first round of IVF like? Was it, Were you successful? Talk us through the process. Yeah, we were. So we were super lucky. Um, so Jess and I did reciprocal IVF. So Riley is technically my egg. Um, so we were waiting for a good time in my schedule to retrieve my eggs, which there wasn't one. So we just ended up doing it and missed a little bit of cricket, but not much. Um, and retrieved, the, I think it was something like 27 eggs. We were super lucky, got a whole heap of eggs. And we had the sperm arrive not long before, and we ended up getting nine embryos out of that, which is bloody amazing. Um, and we were stoked. And then we just went in for an appointment uh, with our doctor to go through that process and say, hey, you know, this is how it's been successful. And he he asked, he's like, what are you guys going to try? And we're like, oh, you know, we've got these tournaments coming up. We've got this. And he's like, just give it a crack this month and kind of pushed us into it. And we were like, yeah, you know what? Chances are getting a first chance at the Super Slim. And we did. We got a first go. Um, so I think it was from that conversation to the call of you're pregnant, I think it was maybe three or four weeks. Oh, wow. um, so uh, our world had flipped very quickly in, in the best of ways. I'm really glad that he did that because there is no perfect time yeah. and who knows how long we would have been umming and ahhing about it. So, um, yeah, that whole process actually was was really quick. We were lucky that the transfer was successful straight away. Um so the, the start to the pregnancy was actually yeah. really smooth. Yeah. So let's talk about the pregnancy then. So the first 12 weeks, what did that, obviously such a precarious time for all of us parents, right? You're like, I don't want to get my hopes up, but I'm kind of really excited, but I'm trying not to think about it, but I'm thinking about it all the time. So <laughs> what was that like for you? Oh, uh, really stressful. Mm. So um, Jess and I are polar opposites in our personality in terms of how much we worry. I am very free-flowing. I believe in fade it'll take care of itself and Jess worries about every minute detail in life and I guess we balance well um so the first 12 weeks was stressful for both of us but I think I spent my time just calming her down going you have done everything right um you know you've followed everything to the book if anything happens you know it's not your fault and it is fate and we'll try again so the first 12 weeks were stressful and just you know just making sure it's stuck and you know we've had lots of friends who have had miscarriages and you know, you're obviously paying lots of money and you don't want to repeat a lot of processes. And so there's lots of added stress, I guess, than just your, your usual heterosexual relationship in a way. So it was a, a bit of a the unknown, lots of changes obviously going through Jess's body, a lot of hormonal changes, so a bit of a few more mood swings than I was probably used to with Jess, which is quite funny. I, I actually quite enjoyed it. It was a bit different. Um, <laughs> And yeah, it was pretty good. It was pretty smooth. We had um, some good appointments. We had a fantastic OB and it wasn't really till the 10 week that we did the nest test or harmony test and could find out the sex, which was really cool because at the start of the, you know, we were like, nah, let's do a surprise. We want to, you know, 
how often do we get this surprise? And then as soon as the opportunity popped up to know, we took it like it was a 180 flip in a split second of like, yeah, let's find out so we can plan. Like yes. I'm a very structured human being um, and I yeah, I like to be able to do things in a certain way. So we'll both um, yeah, change our mind very quickly. And then, um, yeah, just some tests came back at the 12 weeks of, of low pape and they said, you know, she's going to be a small baby, but both Jess and I were small babies, so we weren't really phased at all and just had to go on aspirin um, for the remainder of the pregnancy. And it wasn't until later on that things started to um, develop, I guess. When, at what point did things sort of start shifting for you? Yeah, I think it was the 20-week scan. Um Jess had something, something wrong with her cervix, basically, which I was a little bit concerned, but they seemed pretty calm about it. And I, I'm someone who asks a million questions when I'm in a doctor's room. I like to know every process. And I was just reading the room and it didn't seem too bad. And I was like, okay, we're cool. There might be a few little complications. And we already know with IVF babies, they're probably going to come early anyway. So we'd kind of mentally semi-prepped to an extent for that. And we're like, cool, keep going. And then when we came back to the 24-week scan, since we're doing added scans, since there were um, a few red flags I wanted to keep an eye on, um, she had had barely grown. And suddenly all the monitors um, were saying under 1% for every measurement. Um, And as I said, I'm someone who asks questions and reads the screens and that is not Jess because she doesn't like what she's going to see. And I kind of, she could tell by my reaction and what I was reading on the screen that things weren't going well. And they just kept, kept remeasuring, kept remeasuring, um, the sonographer went and got someone else. Their doctor kept remeasuring, kept remeasuring, and then they're like, "Yep, yeah, she's she's barely grown. Um, she's under the one percent for everything. There is something sinister going on here. Um, <clears throat> we're going to keep a really close eye on you." So from there, it was weekly um, blood flow scans and fortnightly growth. Um, and we had to monitor really closely her movements. And we're pretty lucky that Riley was a very active baby. Mm-hmm. She was tiny, but she could kick very well. Um, so it was just making sure we monitored that. And then, um, yeah, the, the Dopplers, we'd, they'd be happy with and then they wouldn't. So we'd come in for probably biweekly scans. And mm. this went in and out for, for a while. And I think it was at 26 weeks, Jess was admitted into hospital with they didn't like the Dopplers. Um, they had given her some steroids at this point and said pretty much you'll be in here till the baby's born. And we're like okay don't know how long it's going to be and then two days later they liked the dopplers and they let us go so it was a a quick a quick tough around with that and we're like okay and it's just changing of mindset it was was quite stressful i guess and um and then i think it was about a week later um we'd just hit i reckon 27 weeks around then um she wasn't really kicking very much in the morning and all the tricks we'd try to do of have orange juice and stuff that would normally get her going wasn't happening. So we were a bit concerned about now let's, let's go in. And um, they hooked her up to the CTG and Riley kind of had a couple D cells in her heart rate. And they said, look, we're not not happy with this. We're going to, we're going to admit you again. And this time for real, you will be in here um, until you deliver. And we managed to squeeze out pretty much another week of just being hooked up to that CTG machine for hours a day. Poor thing. Um, and then I think it was a Tuesday morning, um, our OB came in and said, look, things look great today. You know, how long is a piece of string go about? I'll be back tomorrow. And I was like, okay. So I went off and, and did training, um, finished my training. And as I was getting back in my car to go back to the hospital anyways, this is at about 6 or 7 p.m., um, Jess rang and was like, her first words were, they're doing it tonight. 
And I kind of was like, wait, what? And she's like, yep, there was an acceleration in her heart rate. Heart rate. She went over 200 for the first time. She's under stress. They're going to take her out. And I was like, okay, well, I'll be back at the hospital in five minutes anyways. I'm pretty lucky that um, Jess is in women's and children's and where I train is pretty much Adelaide Oval across the road. So I said, like, I'll be back there in five, ten minutes. Um, make sure they wait, you know, sort of thing. And I got there and um, we're packing up her bags for them to transfer Jess to the next room and get some drugs in um, to, to help with Riley's lungs and her brain. And pretty much a couple of hours later, she was out. So it was um, all oh, a very strange process. You know, you'd think you're going calm and then it would crash. And then, yeah, it was stressful. But um, I guess, you know, for myself, I kind of put on a bit of a brave face and would pretend everything's okay to, just because Jess is such a warrior that mm. can't really afford both of us to be doing that. So um, now she was an absolute warrior and, I mean, she was always going to be the perfect mum and yeah, it just turned out to not be the same journey that we'd, we'd predicted, I guess. Mm. Throughout the pregnancy, what were the risks that they, that the medical professionals were telling you? Were they saying like, okay, there's a chance that, you know, this isn't going to affect, like what, what were, were they giving you sort of, uh, yeah, an idea of realistically what could happen? Um, yeah, I guess where we were really fortunate was Riley's always been very healthy. So okay. Throughout her development, she was small, but her organs were de- developing really well. And throughout no ch- um, stage, were they concerned with her health per se? So um, it was more so managing her growth rate and making sure she was getting the right blood blood flow. So um, that's what they were monitoring the most. And we were lucky to get steroids into Jess about ten days before Riley was born. Um, so when she was born, um, she actually let out a little scream, which is not something they expect from a little twenty eight weeker, which was really cool. Um and so she was never actually on oxygen, which we were very lucky. So she was immediately put on to, you know, um the snorkel, OptiFlow and all that kind of stuff, but was never actually on oxygen. She just needed some support so she could use her energy to grow basically. So obviously when she was first born they say, you know, there's thousand complications that can happen in the first 24 hours um and that's probably the scariest part is you you don't know how they're going to be once they they come out so um for me they just kind of said um look this is the process we're going to take her out we will give you a a few seconds with her um so we did kind of get like a little family photo um i got to cut the cords and and do a few things and then they whisked her off basically to to get the IV drips in to get, you know, everything in that they need to. So, um, yeah, that I was never, I, as I said, I'm a very, I'd asked a million questions. Mm. So I felt pretty safe in where Riley was at and knew that there were certain risks, but pretty much once the first 24 hours had passed and they were stoked with how she was going and she wasn't on oxygen. I was like, you know, she's, she's already a little trooper and, she was just this string bean, so long and so skinny. Um, you could see a heartbeat through her chest. She was that thin. Like it was just um, – but she was healthy. And, like, that's that's all that mattered. They said stop worrying about the weight, worry about the organ development, and her organs were great. So um, they were very reassuring as well as making sure that we also knew the risks. Mm, how big was she, like, when she came out, like as big as your hand or how big? Yeah. Uh, she was 31 centimetres and 858 grams. So she was – Pretty tiny, um, still a string bean in ways. Like mm. she had these big flippers, uh, mm. big feet, which was ironic because the rest of her was tiny and yeah. the beanie they had knitted for her was like when we saw it beforehand, we were like, <laughs> like it was that's when it was probably confronting. We mm. saw this beanie and we were like, 
oh my god that is gonna fit on riley's head and mm. um yeah so she, she was confrontingly skinny obviously the skin at that stage is like very red and a little bit transparent um and you can really see the veins and as i said you could see her heartbeats it was confronting at the time um but you know she'd opened her eyes when they'd taken her out and, and done all the like ticked a lot of boxes that were really special so um yeah it was it was an odd one what i mean i think about um my pregnancy and that entire time it's so precarious your body's changing you already feel the nerves of gosh you know what's the birth going to be like what's my baby going to be like how's my life going to change and all of those really sort of confronting feelings i mean did how was jess during the pregnancy i mean you say she's a warrior what you know was she really kind of overwhelmed was she trying to stay grounded what did that look like oh, I reckon she went up and down um she she had her bad days don't get me wrong um her days of extreme worry and they probably came with the scans so when they would reiterate how small she was and how much stress there was on Jess to make sure she could feel her movements and I think that probably was the most stressful part is Jess trying to learn what is normal um it's obviously our first pregnancy and we don't really know what normal is already and we're thrown into the deep end of having extra pressure on top. So um, I, I thought she was great considering the, the circumstances. So um, I think, you know, second time round, I'm not sure how that would be, but um, she, yeah, she just chummed on with it. And I guess we made sure we ticked every box possible. Um, we tried to keep it as realistic as we could. And as soon as we knew we were having an extreme prem, we were listening to podcasts and just, trying to find out what what we're in for basically and what the emotions are going to come with it and we knew at the time we're going to be pretty overwhelmed and you can plan as much as you want um but you're not going to know how you feel um to that moment presents itself so um Jess was was amazing and I guess what was hard was it was a c-section so obviously she's got you know a lot going on and in so much pain and so for me I was kind of lucky with we were public at the women's and children's because she was so early um and they let me stay the night purely because I was a female, which was great. Like if I was a male partner, I don't think I would have been. I snuck in the night. So was there to kind of, you know, be with her when she woke and, and look after her. And I think I guess what's what was truly confronting was how understaffed the hospital were as well and knowing that if I wasn't there to help Jess shower, change her pads and do all these things that, you know, Jess wasn't going to be able to do those things and get down as easily to see Riley. So, um yeah, as much as it, we were thinking of Riley, was also I was thinking of Jess and making sure that if I could keep her okay, then everything else was going to be okay. And that was probably the, the hardest little section was the first couple of weeks. Yeah, because, I mean, I just think when I've, again, when I've sort of given birth, having the baby, I get so, I was like, oh, I need the baby in eyesight at all times sort of thing. Like, how did you cope with the baby not being with you? Yeah, that was that was the hardest part was leaving every night. Um so for the first, I think Jess got to stay for five or six nights. Our, our OB was fantastic in pushing to stay. Um, they wanted her out within three nights, which was utterly ridiculous in my opinion, um, yeah. especially after C-section. But um, we got to stay a little while, which meant that Jess could obviously go and see Riley at any time. And if she wanted to, she woke up at 4 a.m. and wanted to see her, she could just go down a ward. And I think the hardest part was once Jess was released from hospital and suddenly we were both leaving Riley overnight and 
that was really hard the first few nights, especially as I said, when it's the early days when you don't really know. And she was Stu and Niku at this point. And yeah, it, it was really overwhelming of just, we didn't know how, what we were going to feel and just knowing she's alone and yeah, it doesn't have her mums there. It's, it was really scary. And I think, yeah, we, we tried to make sure that, you know, we would get some rest, but we're also up pretty early and would head straight to the hospital and make sure we're there for her cares and make sure we got to, got to do the special little things, not just hold her, but we did get to hold her pretty early. Like I think from the next day they were willing to let us hold her, which we didn't expect. So that was a wonderful surprise. Um, and from there we just did a hell of a lot of kangaroo cuddles. Like it was pretty much constant. Either one of us had her and obviously I, I still had to train. I got given um, two weeks off. So for two weeks I was, I was in there all day with, with Jess. Um, and then after that it was in and out a bit more, but um, – considering the circumstances we we coped really well um we we had a bit of a structure a bit of a routine it helped that as i said adelaide was across the road from women's and children so i could just simply park our car in there we'd walk up um so we got free parking like that's that is a just something that like the nurses would stress about because they would only get two hours so they've got to go on their shift and move their car or get their ticket so like something as simple as that was was a big stress relief so um we were pretty lucky that uh, – so we were told to pretty much expect Riley to be in until, what, 40 weeks would have been. Um, that's the normal stay for, for an early child. And we ended up being in there just shy of eight weeks. So we ended up getting her home at technically 36 weeks gestation oh, okay. would have been. So we were stoked Riley was just a little champ. And, mm. yeah, we're very lucky. We're briefly interrupting this episode to give a shout out to our episode sponsor, Water Wipes. Water Wipes is the world's purest baby wipes, plant-based and plastic-free with only two ingredients. Water Wipes gently cleans and helps protect sensitive skin and are proud sponsors of the Miracle Babies Foundation. Did you know Water Wipes first entered the market through hospitals and neonatal intensive care units? Becoming popular for their use on newborns and premature babies, they were the first wipes to launch pure baby wipes with minimal ingredients and the first wipes to be certified as microbiome friendly. What makes water wipes different? Their unique seven-step purification process means their water is able to reach more dirt and impurities. This provides a more effective clean without leaving a residue or exposing skin to potentially irritating ingredients. Other brands claim purity and yet have upwards of nine plus ingredients. But then there's water wipes, simply two ingredients and nothing else. In addition, their wipes are strong and durable while also being plant-based and plastic-free. It's no wonder that Water Wipes is widely recognised and appreciated by healthcare organisations and professionals worldwide. Water Wipes purely protects. Was there any sort of, I mean, you think about things like postnatal depression and things like that, which is very, very common. And I feel as though perhaps, you know, experiencing something like you guys did, you'd be sort of more at high risk of those sort of, you know, mental health challenges. Was there anything that yourself or Jess faced following the birth from a mental health perspective that you had to sort of tackle? Yeah, definitely. I think Jess suffered a lot of PND. Um, I think that was 
I think she was always going to be at risk with that. Um, it runs in the family and um, obviously our situation not being the best, it was always going to be a factor and it definitely was. And I remember we, we had conversations later on, like way later on, of how Jess felt guilty about she didn't feel a connection with Riley straight away. Um, was that because she was premie? Was that because it was my egg? Like the, there's lots of things that just go into your mind and, and you go, is this actually – you know, helping me and, and where are we at? And we probably weren't honest with each other with that early days because we were just trying to battle each day as we went. Um, I certainly wasn't honest and was just trying to put on a brave face. And that's what I've done my whole life. I've never been a crier and it's a really, it's a bad issue. This is what I'm working on, um, <laughs> working on it. But I was like, cool. No, I'm in function mode. This is what I've got to do. We've got to get through and then we can sort out our feelings once Riley comes home. Um, and so we, like Jess and I really connected in this time with just what was happening. We probably weren't honest with our emotions and our feelings, but we did have this extra little bond and just created this routine of we probably got to spend more time together than we had in ages mm-hmm. um, because of this. Um, so it was almost like, well, let's let's just enjoy it in a way of, you know, we're getting to spend hours together and hours with our child together that, you know, we probably weren't as crickets very full on. So mm-hmm. Um, we're trying to enjoy that, but definitely some big P and D for Jess, um, which she probably didn't seek help for straight away, which she should have, but, you know, she ticked all the boxes for that and they got her in, um, some appointments that, you know, a few and far in between, and it really exposes the system and, and how hard it is for people to get help. And it's really sad. Um, I'm super lucky in this sport and where I'm at that they can, weasel us in and, and get us in earlier with access to our own sites but the regular public doesn't and I found that really frustrating that um Jess couldn't seek help as quickly as I could even though she's the one that needs it the most so um we definitely had our emotional struggles in, in that sense um following that and didn't really speak about that enough and probably over the last 12 months we've really tried to work on that at what point did you sort of have, I mean, if you think back to the first discussion that you may have had around, okay, so how are you actually feeling? Like Riley's well, where, you know, she's all, you know, um, you know, healthy and all of the good things. How are you? Like, what did that discussion look like? And I, and I ask as well for those parents listening going, look, I'm looking, I feel as though perhaps my partner's not in the best place or actually I'm not in the best place, but I don't know how to, you know, how to best communicate that. You know, what do you think that could look like? Yeah, I think we could have done it better, if I'm honest. I, I, I don't think there was a flat-out how are you feeling moment. Yeah. I think we had picked up on how each other were and went, oh, actually, like what have your thoughts been the last you know, month or so. And then that's when we started. We, we probably rolled backwards mm-hmm. rather than going, um, this is how I'm feeling now. Um, I should have voiced this a long time ago. And mm-hmm. if I had my time again, I would ask flat out. And I guess I was probably scared to know the answer mm-hmm. and scared that I wasn't going to know what to say after hearing, yeah, I've been struggling, which I, I was probably in my own bubble as well. I probably should have noticed she was struggling. I had my moments of really struggling too, but I, I cover them up very well. And I'd like to think that Jess would have no idea. And that's how I kind of wanted it to be. So yeah, if I had my time again, I'd probably address the issue more flat out and go, I've noticed, you know, you seem a bit down at the moment. Has this been going on a while or how are you feeling just as a flat out question? I'd definitely be more brave with that. And I guess I probably didn't have the tools to 
to answer that question if she did say yes. And that is a, a big learning curve that I probably should have dove into pre-pregnancy. We, we both probably should have. So um, just being more honest and, and willing to kind of be vulnerable. And I guess it was such a vulnerable moment for both of us that we both didn't want to be extra vulnerable with each other and just add on added pressure when we both both probably knew that we were um, struggling a little bit. So, yeah, I wouldn't say that I can't remember a diehard conversation of asking it flat out, but we definitely got there eventually and going, been struggling a little while. Um, I think I need to get some help. And that's when we really pushed, um, I guess, the services. What resources would you recommend? What worked well for you? Um, it was actually through the hospital for Jess okay. um, that we we seeked help. So through a local GP, they recommended someone and she's been seeing that same psych since. So um, that'd be great for her. I'm actually not sure what they – I think they specialise in, in post-pregnancy, so P&D stuff. Um, well, I think that's what the clinic's – specializes in so i assume the psych does too and and for me mine's i i now see a psych um who isn't at all related to to the hospital that's that's through cricket they've organized that so um i I think just being able to search the avenues but the hospital were definitely good in recognizing that jess had filled out a few um checklists and surveys and they said look you you tick all the boxes we're going to recommend some help um and i think the first five sessions are paid for and then after that it's out of pocket and that's when we're super lucky to be in a good enough position to be able to pay for those appointments because your everyday humans probably aren't and I guess that's been my frustration through it is knowing that you know if if my mum went through this with with us kids there's no way in hell they could have afforded that so um yeah the system's a bit broken I, I really dislike it um and for how much they you know, show that they care and they do all these surveys and go, look, you you need some help. There's not actually a lot of help there. So I I would say to be really well pre-planned and and maybe have some people in mind um, or friends of friends that could recommend some people that if you're going to need it, because I guarantee there'll be a lot of people that will. Yeah, 100%. And I agree with you. It's amazing the limited supply even of psychs and things like that, let alone trying to – I mean, there could be months waiting lists for certain psychs and things like that. It's just crazy to me that – and with mental health being such a massive issue for, you know, uh, you know, particularly after COVID, I mean, <laughs> at which point we pretty much broke the system, I'm sure. Yeah. Like it's just – yeah, it's, it's crazy that it is – quite a privilege to to be able to get that support at times. I reached out to the Gidget Foundation and similarly they have a resource there which is subsidised, which was great, up to a certain point and after that you have to fund it. So, you know, there are resources out there. I certainly um, looked in, so I had postnatal as well and I, you know, I also found things like resources like podcasts or YouTube clips or, I don't know, also carving out a bit of time for myself, um, which I know is very difficult to do with the newborn but for me to be able to go for a walk for 20 minutes and then come back into the fold really helped me from a mental health mindset was there anything else that you did or that Jess did that you felt was really beneficial I think um you mentioned it there some time for yourself and I think that is the the mum guilt um of going I don't I don't deserve this time for myself I need to be there for my child and for a long time we didn't recognize that um, that Jess really needed that and I didn't recognize it. She didn't, her family didn't because everyone just thinks, you know, you want to be around your newborn 24-7 and you probably do but you don't realize that that's not what you need and that's not what your baby needs too. So 
Um, eventually, we started to get it right a little bit where I'd come home from training and be like, go walk Eddie. Uh, sorry, our, our dog. Um, take as long as you want, that sort of thing. And we probably took too long to get there because she, as I said, she she suffered some real guilt from the pregnancy and thinking that somehow she had done something wrong when I know genetically that it was impossible, like she could not have done anything differently. She still blamed herself and felt responsible, I guess, for, for what happened. And even now, you know, with the possibility of a second child, she's like, you know, I, I really want to make sure I can – you know, try and get the 40 weeks this time. And I'm like, well, that's, as we know from the first, that's out of your control. So um, I think mum guilt is is the truest thing. And I like we both genuinely suffer from that a lot. And I think um, we didn't recognize that for a long time. And I don't think parents speak about that enough. And like even for me on, on tour, like I, I'm missing a lot of Riley's life. I know Jess struggles at home and Riley still doesn't sleep well, doesn't eat well. She's she's not an easy child in, in any sense of the word. So, um, yeah, I think mum guilt is the biggest thing in recognising and going, actually, no, I need some time for myself to be a human being, not just a mum. And that was probably our biggest shift too is having um, family and friends just ask how Riley is, you know, like how's, how's Barb's, how's this? And you're like, has anyone asked how Jess is doing? Yeah. Um, and that was probably a shift that I make sure that, you know, we've our team doctor has just had a little girl um, and has just brought her on tour and is it, beautiful and everyone's like, how's Phoebe, how's this? And I'm like, well, Pip, like, how are you? Like, mm. no one really asks because everyone is just so excited about the baby and they don't do it intentionally. Yeah. But um, in really realising that you haven't actually had good conversations with your friends about yourself um, in a long time. So, we tried to probably address that as well as, you know, giving Jess some time to herself and time to exercise, even just feel like what she did pre-pregnancy. Um, exercise has been a big one and obviously post-C-section um, is, a, is a big factor in making sure that, you know, you're all healed and stuff. So that was also a struggle for Jess who's quite active as well. Um, so it's probably just trying to make sure we recognise the factors as they came and, remember that we are still still humans and parents as well but uh, we're in a relationship as well and we probably needed to talk to each other a bit more just regularly not about Riley just 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 life or do a crossword together do something that wasn't just Riley related um, as that was its own stress in itself yeah absolutely and I speak to so many parents over over 100 episodes now of the of the podcast and so many uh, common themes come um, you know come out from those discussions and one of them is that I lost myself in all of this another one is and from an identity perspective and everything because my whole life now is this child or trying to juggle work and the child and another one is we sort of lost each other in our relationship because we just put ourselves last because it's all about the baby so uh, you know it's so easy not to carve out the time you know I felt I had to put things in the diary to be like it's got to happen like I'm going for that run or we've got a date night in eight weeks time but it's coming you know something (laughs) we can look forward to right like yeah I mean how did you guys how have you juggled your relationship along with, you know, parenthood in general? Yeah, um, again, probably not something we've realised till probably the last six months is we weren't juggling it overly well. Um, you kind of think you've got it down pat and then something pops up and exposes it and you're like, oh, God, have we been neglecting that for that long? Um, and I think we, as I said, we're super lucky to have Jess's parents around the corner um, and I reckon – from about a year in, um, that's when we started going, no, we need date night. Like we need um, 
at least once a month we need date night and whether that is booking a night away, which was that was the hardest part. I think it Jess had her first night away from Riley at about if she was maybe one and a half, close to that. And like obviously I'd spent a lot of time away on tour, so for me it was it was a night away. And for Jess it was a very anxious one of going, it's my first night away. And I said, look, we, we left once she was asleep. Mm. We'll probably like be home close to before when she wakes up anyway, mm. so it, it's okay. And um, it was just recognising that we were not putting any time for ourselves and, you know, you're exhausted and you don't really think about it. And to be honest, once you just put them to bed, you kind of just want to chill. And so you probably don't focus on each other. You just focus on relaxing. Um, and so we were trying to, we wouldn't we wouldn't quite put in we put date night in the diary that that was one um but trying to make sure we also did other things together um we started obviously doing the walks with Eddie and all that together making mm-hmm. sure that you know at least it can be family time if not just me and Jess time because that was the hardest to come across and i think uh with me and my job that's that's probably the hardest part of all is going i'm not in control of my schedule um i can't just shift training uh wherever i want and so it would be like, okay, I know we had this day night plan, but they've turned training into a night training, so we're not going to be able to make it. Mm. And then trying to reshuffle that is was probably the hardest part. And But we tried to make sure we did prioritize that and um, we're, we're admittedly a, a lot better with that and that's probably because Riley's a, a little bit older, yeah. a little bit easier. Like we had super bad witching hour with her that would last an hour and a half mm. for like four months. Like she was off the charts bad and – it was more stressful for us to hand her to someone else than it was to just look after ourselves. So yeah. for a good chunk of time there, we weren't probably spending any time together or getting any free time, but it was also what was easiest at the time and it was just not worth the stress. So um, once she got a little bit easy to take care of, we definitely lent on Jess's parents a lot and, and we still do for the odd night away or even just dinner together. But um, we started trying to make day dates <clears throat> a little bit more and – um, if I happened to have a rest day, uh, then we would use that to go out and do something because everything always used to just be at night because it was just easiest. Helen would finish work, um, Jess's mum would finish work and come and, and look after Riley and we'd get a couple hours at dinner. Mm. Whereas like doing something during the day together is actually doing something. It's not just having a meal. It's like we went out and explored and, and did this cool little, um, I guess, like picnic scenario thing and just turning it where we could a day date. Um, which isn't obviously possible for a lot of people, but my schedule was weird and just trying to find that day um, is what worked for us. So um, also just making sure that it doesn't become uh, a, a chore in in a sense of trying to find time, like actually wanting to do it and going, hey, we've, we've gone to this place for dinner the last few times. Let's change it up or even let's not do that. Let's do a pottery class or something random and actually remember to do things together because that's what you did pre-baby and I think, that has been really refreshing for us. But as I said, that's probably only come in the last six months or so. Mm, yeah. It's so I feel like the first year is just a bloody shit show. If the you blood. ask me, like, <laughs> it's survival, right? You know, for the yeah. first year. Then the second year, you're like, okay, whoa, what just happened? We need to recalibrate a bit, <laughs> learn 100%. from our lessons and, yeah, move forward in a better way. I, yeah, I think that's just, yeah, from what I've heard from everyone, it's certainly, yeah, the experience. Um, I'd love to know at what point did Riley's health sort of, like, what happens with the premise? So, like, she, she goes home, you know, she's healthy, obviously, are there more checkups and at what point were you not having to worry about any of that 
Um, we're not at that point yet. Um, oh, okay. So um, it's actually I, I actually really like the system. So uh, any baby really born between it's different for each hospital, but pretty much born prem. So before thirty weeks, they're going to be they're going to have a whole list of checkups. So for Riley, it was extra hearing tests, physical tests, um, a whole bunch of stuff that they want to look at frequently until they're two. So um, we would be so as I said, we went home at thirty six weeks. Mm. Um, we actually went home on um, the NED program, which is like an early discharge, but she still had uh, the feeding tube through her nose. So we were feeding her through that. Um, but the first night we got home, she pulled out her tube and we're like, oh, great, here we go. Um, but then she did a suck feed on the bottle and we're like, oh, okay. So we went back, they put the tube back in. Two nights later, she pulled it out again and we're like, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> but then she did a day of suck feed, like a whole day. And they were like, Mm, if she doesn't suck feet on the next one, maybe come back in. And then mm. she did. And they're like, well, she's just telling you she's ready and she doesn't need the tube anymore. So pretty much once that happened, she was then fully discharged um, from the NED program and she was officially home home and could stay at home. Um, but we had to pass a, a few things before that. So you kind of got to prove you're, you're fit to take them home with, you know, you know how to put them in a baby seat, you know how to change a nappy, um, the basic stuff that is assumed, I guess, but you kind of had to prove um, and then after that, it's very frequent visits to, I guess, a pediatrician. So for us, we stayed um, with our neonatologist in the women's and children's for at least a year. We were with him um, and we just monitor Riley. He's been the person who had seen her since the day she was born. And I guess you actually feel like they have a connection with it. It isn't quite like the proper public system where you chop and change. It was this is your assigned you know, doctor and, and he was incredible. So we, we felt a real connection with him and he knew Riley very well and it would be coming in for frequent checkups, you know, to make sure is she reaching her milestones for her corrected age. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were pretty lucky that most of the time she was ahead of the pack in the sense that she was pretty close to her actual age than corrected. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of, I guess, the hardest part was the lingo and making sure we were saying corrected and actual age because there is, you know, close to three months difference there. So, um, regular appointments and then we started hydrotherapy you know they said she's hypermobile got low mo- muscle tone so we had to start hydrotherapy um, we had seen that she went through a patch and still is terrible with her eating um, so we'd see a dietitian um, everything else in between basically they kind of they tick off all these boxes that I don't think you would if you had a, a full-term baby which is pretty cool like it's frustrating and stressful and adds so much more hectic to your schedule because you have appointments at the women's and children's but you also feel like they're really ticking every box with Riley and making sure that she is where she should be so um, we still have a pediatrician now who's wonderful and um, Riley is a little bit behind in her speech Um, for her actual age she's behind for her corrected she's she's pretty on par but we've now um yeah, seeking help with a speech path and an OT just to make sure everything's ticking along nicely. And there's just more boxes to tick is how I would say. So rather than your, you know, your six monthly appointment with your Pete or whatever you'd have, we'd have that much more regularly. Um, and they double check their hearing and their vision again before they leave. Um, yeah, I would, I would say that it's just a lot more boxes to tick before you can, I guess, feel like she's free and she's technically now that she's two, she is discharged from the hospital. So she's no longer in there. And I mean, 
we were in there just the other day because she broke her leg, so that's oh, great. Um, delightful, yeah. Cats just rally. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then we were sitting there waiting for the plaster to get put on and I had a bit of a chuckle and I was like, Jess, we were in here four weeks earlier with a dislocated elbow. Oh, like I think we should get a membership here. And, oh, um, no. Like she's she's a little in that case. Like I, I mean, I'm, she does not stop, like an incredibly oh, active little yeah. jittery human being yeah. and – it is so hard, but I also love it. Like yeah. I couldn't think of anything worse than a kid that just sat there and yeah, didn't do much. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I think we're going to be visiting the hospital a hell of a lot, even though she's technically discharged. <laughs> oh, gosh, keeping you on your toes for sure. Um, to wrap up, I want to know what advice would you give to parents who are listening who are uh, have a high risk pregnancy or who have a, you know, unwell newborn or who experienced the journey or is going to experience a similar journey to what you guys did, you know, what advice would you give them if they're sitting in that right now? Take it day by day. Um, I think I, I, I struggled with, I was trying to look forward too far and see the future and go, shit, if she's born at 26 weeks, is this is what she's going to look like when she's two? Mm-hmm. And then I would stage that at every possible thing because that's, I guess, how we're structured to think mm-hmm. is to plan. Whereas really going every day we get extra in this pregnancy is a blessing and celebrate the little milestones. I think like for us, we were told at 24 weeks that she could come any day from then. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I think she was a little under 400 grams and I'd unfortunately done my research and survival rates and all that kind of stuff and had put panic in my own mind rather than going actually we got to 25 weeks today like let's you know celebrate that we got to 26 weeks we got to 27 28 and I think we started to do that a little bit more towards the back end of the pregnancy and just be it just gives you a bit more of a positive outlook in going actually no we've got this far things could be worse um and yeah so I think take it day by day absolutely is is a must because it's a long journey mm. and everyone's Niku and Skaboo journey is going to be completely different and we were super lucky to have a smooth one but we met obviously lots of families in there that didn't so mm. just making sure that we weren't taking anything for granted but we also weren't um, looking at the worst case possibilities because there are so many and you're confronted with that every day at the hospital that you just need to focus on your own child your own child's journey and celebrate the small wins. Um, and I think ask questions. Um, for me, as I said, I'm a, I'm a question asker. I like to know how everything works, you know, what any beeping means on that machine, what that's referring. And that made me calm um, and in turn calm Jess. So the monitor would go off and I go, it's okay. You know, she was just screaming. So blood sat's gone down. That's fine. Mm-hmm. And Jess about, okay. And so because I knew, that meant she knew, and then we could just be calm together rather than just getting overwhelmed by the sounds that are in there because there's a lot. There's a lot going on um, and there's a lot that you don't control and you don't get a lot of say in. And at times you, you probably don't feel heard by the nurses, but you know that they are doing everything they can. And most of the time, as I said, they're understaffed, overworked, and they're bloody awesome in there. So I think trusting the powers of be and um, – yeah, really just making sure you're, you're focused on, on your own little situation. Mm, yeah, I love that. Such good advice. Megan, thank you so much again for your time today. Thanks, Danny. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave us a rating or review and share it with your friends. Want to contribute to the conversation? Hit us up on Instagram at Parenthood Pod and join our Facebook group. Until next time. Thanks for listening.
The Parenthood Podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land we produce on, the land of the Wawandri people. We pay respect to their elders, past, present and emerging.